In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing one of my former students, MK, who scored a 180 on the LSAT, as you know, the highest you could score. Her initial diagnostic, 146. She prepared for the LSAT while working full-time, caring for her young baby son, training for a marathon, and she took this exam where she scored that 180 while pregnant with her second child, her new baby girl, who, by the way, you can hear in the background as we're doing the interview, and I love it because... It brought me back to when we were working together and every once in a while she'd have her baby boy with her as we were on our Zoom study sessions. MK was very gracious in offering to come back for a few more episodes to do sort of a series with us, if you will, because we had so much great stuff to talk about that figured, hey, why not spread it out? So today's topic, an introduction, of course, but also we're going to particularly focus on habits. After all, that's the inspiration for this podcast. It's a critical part of what how we study. It was a essential ingredient to her success on the exam. And as you may recall, in the previous episode, we discussed the book Atomic Habits, which we also talk about in this episode. So after you listen to this wonderful story, if you want, go and check out the previous episode on the great book Atomic Habits. Welcome to the LSAT Habits Podcast, where in each episode we present key habits you can master to study smarter, save time, and raise your LSAT score. I'm your host and instructor, Jimmy D of JDLSAT.com. Disclaimer, and I think you, MK, you and I are probably on like minds of this. Mm-hmm. We're going to tell y'all about the challenges that MK faced. Right, these are good challenges. She was pregnant, right, and she had a, a baby at home, and so those are wonderful challenges, right? But they do take up time, and yet she still. Oh, and I, I should add, right, you're working, and she still, despite those challenges, got that 180. We're not saying it to boast. I know that's not in her nature. She's an incredibly humble and hardworking person. We're saying it because if anyone's out there who's not, who's got some challenging circumstances, maybe you're working full-time, maybe you got kids, maybe you have a parent you're caring for, this is doable. We're not saying it's easy, but it's doable. Life doesn't stop, but someone as hardworking and talented and committed as MK made this happen despite all these other time issues in her life. Definitely. No, I'm so glad you mentioned that because when I was starting out this journey, I, you know, was looking online for resources, information from other parents who had gone through this process, who started where I started and ended up where I wanted to be just to learn best practices. And it's, there were limited, there was limited information out there probably because anyone who had done it before was so busy, <laughs> like they couldn't, you know, they probably didn't have the time to, to share. So also, sorry, I, uh, my husband just dropped off my daughter who is hungry. So oh. she is, yeah, <laughs> she was born three, three weeks ago. So, um, oh on Thanksgiving God. actually. So Whoa. she's eating a lot <laughs> and sleeping a lot right now, newborn stage. <laughs> 
if I could bring us back a little bit, yeah. when you were studying every once in a while, we bring, bring your, your son in. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. this is, this is uh, yeah. bringing us back, but it, it shows to how dedicated you are and, and what it's like. And I'm sure you're not the only one that's out there. Yeah, definitely. And I think during COVID, a lot of people working, you know, working remotely, like I was a lot of parents, you know, the reality is they just, they are, their kids are in their houses. So they're going to be popping in and out. And especially if you don't have childcare and this is life. This is how life is right now. Right. I remember mm-hmm. us having the discussion about like, you know, like, like just having a model. Right. And sometimes it's easier. Like, oh, I have this person. I yeah, this person I went to school with did these steps and they did it. Right. But when you're in a certain position, if you're non-traditional in any sense, I think we were both non-traditional, but in your circumstances in particular, right? Like I could relate to being non-traditional. I could relate to a number of things. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't relate. I certainly couldn't relate to being pregnant, but like, <laughs> so, but I just think it was very interesting. Cause I remember you having to say like, yeah, I don't have a ton of people to look to, but so I've kind of got to, and that doesn't mean there aren't people out there, right? I'm just not aware of them, but I've kind of sort of have to design this for myself a little bit. You actually helped me so much in beginning that process of creating the systems, the habits, the environment in order to achieve my goal, which I had shared with you from the beginning, which is to score above a 170 on the LSAT. You really helped me by introducing me to some new ideas, Atomic Habits by James Clear. So you, you pretty quickly introduced that book to me when we were working together. And there's so many amazing strategies in that book for building the systems in your life, no matter what your circumstances are, that will allow you to achieve the outcomes you desire. And like that cornerstone, one of the cornerstone ideas of his book is that we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And a lot of people start out their LSAT journey with that goal of 170 plus, And then you know, for whatever reason, aren't able to achieve that goal, the book helps us focus on what are the processes in your life? What are your study habits, your um, approach to each section that will allow you to get to that goal? Is there something missing there? It's a great book. And I really have to thank you, Jimmy, for introducing me to that book because it led to so many other amazing books and tools that have been helpful to me over the last year. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I I should say, right, the focus of this, um, well, frankly, the focus of this podcast, we call it LSAT Habits for a reason. The the, the focus of this episode with MK is going to be about habits specifically. Why, Why are habits so important? Why specifically for you? Why habits? Habits are so important to me because they allow me to create routine around the things the little things that I want to accomplish each day so that I can pour my energy into what matters most to me. That will look, you know, that looks different for everyone, but in my circumstances, I found habits to be so helpful because they allowed me to automate my morning routine so that I could put a lot of energy into studying before my son woke up. Um, and then before, which was what I wanted to put, you know, the studying and then spending time with my son, those were the things I wanted to be doing every morning and doing them well. In terms of the LSAT, 
habits were so important because they allowed me to develop a approach to each section that where a lot of the steps of tackling a section became very automated so that I could focus my energy on that higher level reasoning, like we talk about Mm -hmm. on tackling those more challenging questions so that I'm getting, you know, I, I got a 180 and I, that means I only got, you know, up to one question wrong. Um, so I needed to be operating at a really high level of reasoning. So those, the little things like identifying the question type, identifying the conclusion, those things had to be automated in order to do that. I I love that your podcast is focused on habits (laughs) because it's such, it's so essential, you know, to, to the LSAT. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, I want to I want to touch on those two things real quick, right? Because there's right wh- why we're making this a habit, right? And it, it, it mm-hmm. it's a number of scales that you reference. Like one, right? The broader scale, I suppose, is your daily routine, right? If you mm-hmm. make it so, like, hey, every day I get up, I'm gonna have my cup of coffee, I'm gonna shower, and then I'm gonna hit the books. It becomes something, right? That is just you feel the, the phrase I often use is right. When you're trying to build a routine or a habit, it could feel uncomfortable at first, but you you go to the point where, right, it feels uncomfortable at first, but when you do it enough, then it feels uncomfortable not to do it. And so right. in particular, right, like if I'm getting up in the morning at a certain time, doing all this stuff, having my coffee, and then going and studying for a certain amount of time, once I do it enough, it feels weird if I don't do it. And then, all right, on the other hand, right, on a, on a, I suppose, a different scale, I won't say a smaller scale, but right, habits like when you're in the middle of the test, when you automate something, then that frees you up for the higher order thinking you need. For example, right, if you need to understand a certain question type, right, like there's a lot that goes on in like, say, a certain LR question type. And you want a habit that will serve you well. You want a technique that will serve you well. But if... If you're sitting there in the middle of a practice test or frankly in the middle of the exam and you're just like, okay, what do I do for this question type again? Let me think about this. What did Jimmy and I right. discuss? Right. You want it to just be automatic, right? Like, right. and so that way it doesn't mean that you're not thinking. It's just those working parts are automatic, like a machine. But at the same time, then right, the part that does require more thinking and that thrusting and parrying, you're free to do because you've automated relatively lower order thinking. Perfectly said. Yes, exactly. It's like, it's a step, this step-by-step approach to the morning routine, to the LR question, you know, identifying the conclusion question type. That's exactly right. It's, it's focusing automated that lower level activities so that the higher level activities have your, your best energy. Yeah. You know, you said something before I want to come back to, right? It was, what was that thing you said about, I think, goals versus systems? You've got that goal, right? But it's, it's based on your ability to systematize it. Is that what I heard? So to sort of illustrate the point, I'm going to share about another book called The Practicing Mind by Thomas mm. Sterner. In, in this book, which is a, oh, another wonderful book, a shorter read, he sh- shared the story in his book about the Olympic archery teams oh, for yeah. the U.S. and for the Asian teams. The U.S. coach was getting very frustrated with this U.S. team because they just were so focused on whether or not they hit the bullseye. 
And then the Japanese and Asian teams were more focused on their process of pulling the arrow, using the equipment correctly. And it was as if the bullseye was really just a natural outcome from the process that they were perfecting. And that culturally, apparently, according to the book, what is more in line with like American culture versus Asian culture. The Asian teams were raised in a culture where there was, it was much more process focused, whereas the Americans, they're focused on winning. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, and, and you, you can read the book and see the passage um, that describes this key difference. Um, but I just think that's, that's exactly what Atomic Habits helps the reader do, which is to focus on building whatever systems in your life that will, you know, naturally beget the outcome that you're looking for. Let's just push it a little bit more, right? Because right, when I'm in the middle of a section, if it's an LR section or a game section, yeah, I can't control every circumstance, just the way an archer can't control everything that's going on. But what I can control, I want to optimize. So if I'm hearing you right, right, like, the uh, the Japanese team, right? Like the reason that they focused on the process was that was what they could control. Once that arrow left their hand, if there was, I don't know, the slightest bit of wind or whatever, right? They can't control that just the way if you're in the middle of a, a section, you can't control exactly what they're going to give to you, right? But you can control how you perform in that process. Is that is that fair? Absolutely. Yes. Perfectly said. Control what you can control, right? And kind of except that, right, some things are out of your control. It's, it's it's a pretty important, I guess, philosophical idea, but it certainly applies to this. And one of the reasons, I guess one of the reasons we're focusing on habits, right, is that's what we can control. That's what right. we can do well, right? Like, I don't know what question I'm going to get, if it's a uh, most strongly supported question, or if it's a uh, necessary assumption question. I don't know what the question is going to be in advance, but I know I'm going to get a most strongly supported question. And I know I'm going to get a necessary assumption question. So if I focus on the process, the technique, broadly speaking of how I deal with those, then I'm controlling and honing everything I can control so that I'm prepared for the things I can't control. Is that is that kind of in line with this idea? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Thanks. And yeah, what, what, what in our life can we control? What about a section can we control? And we know we're going to get 20, 25 or 26 questions. Mm -hmm. You know, we know kind of roughly the breakdown of the different question types. We don't know the order of the section. So, mm -hmm. you know, in our practice for studying for the LSAT, we can practice variations of that. So, switching up the order the sections are presented in when we're doing the practice test and also realizing that, and I, I think this is something that a lot of people run into when they're using the, like the seven stage curriculum or really any blueprint or any Khan Academy, any program out there, a lot of them have you drill certain question types. Mm. And so that you can like perfect your process for each of those question types, but then they'll get to a section and after drilling each one individually, and then they won't see that score reflected immediately in the entirety of the section. And there are a number of things going on. 
but to reference another book that um, I shared with you, Jimmy, uh, <laughs> make make it make it stick. Nice. They, they they talk about like masked masked practice versus varied practice. Mm. So when you're doing mass practice, you're you know you're focused on one question at a time. In basketball, you're focusing on a a certain type of shot, and you're just practicing that specific type of shot over and over again. You you see quick improvement, but once you try different questions, like you know, like an actual section where you're you're given many different types of questions in a order that is not predictable, mm. you you won't see those gains as quickly. But that's just good to know. That's like how our brains work. We don't we if we learn something one way, it's not always going to reflect in a, like when it's presented in a different way. Does that make sense? The yeah, I think so. Best, yeah. Okay. Out of curiosity, right? So like, um, yeah. cool, I've got everything presented in a certain way. I'm getting the same question type, but now I'm getting it mixed up. Would you say that the adjustment to that is just, just sort of like being aware of it, not letting it throw you off and the practice of having done some isolating certain question types and then just kind of getting used to the fact that now they're mixing it up when I'm in a section? Or how would you say, uh, how would you find that it was helpful for you to adjust? Absolutely. So just being aware, first of all, being aware that that there will will be some disparity initially. Mm-hmm. That's fine. You know, being patient with yourself, recognizing that it's not going to automatically reflect. But then also recognizing that if you can, as much as possible, do varied practice. So doing an actual section, like a half a section, a full section, that's going to mm-hmm. be better practice, superior practice than the mass practice, than doing one question at a time. The each has its place, yeah. but recognizing that for your long-term learning, mastering the LSAT, the varied practice is superior. Um, it will be more better preparation for the actual exam. Fair. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's interesting, right? On the one hand, I tell people, Hey, you want to practice question types. So it becomes something that's just automatic. Um, and, yes. and I would even argue you it's, it's, I would go so far as to say it's essential, even yes. though you're not going to get like all these necessary reception questions at once. That being said, right. You can't just practice them one by one, at some point you've got to put, uh, you know, you've got to like, you know, I can't just practice a certain move. I've got to go into battle, right. Or I can't just practice a certain shot, right. I've got to actually play a scrimmage, right. At some point you've just got to put that into place and, and, and take a practice test, take a full section, right. So you can replicate that. Um, right. Right. But, 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 but you have to do, you, you certainly have to, right. Uh, put it, put it, um, do it in real time, so to speak, like actually take that practice test because, right. You're not going to get a bunch of necessary assumption questions in a row in the middle of the actual exam. It's going to vary. And I want to add something that you said that was important. I think it seems subtle, but it's important. I kind of mentioned it too, awareness, right? Like if I know something's coming that I can mentally prepare as opposed to being shocked by it. And, you know, like, yeah, it's not the same if I've been practicing a certain question type in a row, drilling them, right? And then I go into a practice test. Obviously, now things are going to be mixed up. They're going to be coming at you from different angles with different question types. But it's simple as it sounds, right? By knowing that's what's coming, I can mentally prepare for it. And then I just, you, you get into rhythm and you get used to it. 
Um, is that fair? Completely. I love that you said that too, because I think a way that you can prepare maybe without, and, and that you taught me and that, you know, we, we worked on together was flashcarding the different types of strategies. Mm. Um, once one has mastered each question type, if you're looking to speed up or to automate those strategies more, flashcarding them, and then you're still getting them, you know, getting those prompts, different question types out of order. You know, mm. it's not just one question type at a time, but you're, you can mix it up into different orders. That way you're really retaining that information and, and you're memorizing, automating the steps without committing to like an entire section. That's a great point. It's funny how I remember when I was younger in school and thought, oh, you know, there was a benefit to flashcards. And then as I got older, I thought, okay, well, flashcards, you know, I was kind of dismissive of them. But then I realized, no, they're really valuable for a number of reasons, right? Like, because, right, you can just, right, you flash them in front of you and you give yourself only a certain amount of time to respond and lo, you mix them up. And, right, that kind of replicates what it's like in the middle of an exam. You're not just doing certain questions. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. And the book Make It Stick brought flashcards mm. back to life for me too. I had <laughs> dismissed them. Yeah. I dismissed them as something I did in like high school or middle school or whatever and for vocab tests or whatever. Um, but Quizlet is a great is. website. Um, you can have an app on your phone. You can use, I, I, I used it, you know, religiously when I was studying for the LSAT. Uh, once I understood how, wow, actually, if I just do the same thing over and over again, that's a completely different that I won't retain that information as well. If I mix, mix things up and make it harder for myself, it's more effortful learning. That's what they would always say. That's what they say in the book is effortful studying, but that it actually allows you to retain it more readily. And I, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to link the book in the show notes. They're basically saying like testing improves our memory, even if you've, and, and so when, when we're going through a curriculum, it's always helpful to remember to err on the side of testing ourselves, quizzing ourselves. Cause that's how we, we remember. I think we get, when we're studying for the LSAT, we get scared of the practice test. Like we're afraid of getting mm-hmm. it wrong. But when we frame, when we frame getting a question wrong as an opportunity to improve our process, then it's more fun. Then it's like, Hey, every question I get wrong is a step closer to mastering this test. You know, um, I, I don't need to get discouraged. I'm, I'm learning. This is a part of learning is making mistakes and getting things wrong. I'm so glad you said that. You are absolutely right. I see this over and over again with students and, and I understand that I've been there, right? Like, you know, this fear of taking a practice test because I'm going to see that number. And then, then I'll also, you know, I'll shoot, you know, I was, I was hoping for this score, but now I'm like 10 points below. Now I'm really screwed. And I, I see students also, I, I see a couple of things and I, I say this with pure empathy, right? Cause I've been there where it's like, I either making excuses not to take a practice test where like, it's just, well, you know, I, I got to get through more of the curriculum or I got to do this. And that doesn't mean right they're, they're there's more to learn. You want to cover more things, but you also want to take the practice test so you could understand what you want to focus on. Uh, but, but long story short, right? Making excuses not to take a practice test or getting it, getting a score you don't like. And then I've seen this happen where it will ruin a student's week. And, right. and, and then I find out later and I'm like, oh, I wish you told me because guess what? You know, this is a snapshot in time. 
I'm a step closer. And anyone out there who's listening, who's a better example? MK went from a 146 to a 180. Perfect score, right? So all those times she didn't get a score that she liked or got a question wrong, she was a step closer to her 180. Anyone out there listening, I want you to remember that. Right. And we and what we can also talk about too is what I guess I I com- like like you said, I have complete empathy. Like I've been there, I was there always uh, scared. I'm so anxious before every practice test, but what I what something that helped and I and I wish I knew going in mm. was that doing a timed section, doing like half of one mm-hmm. or doing a full time section is still really good. As long as I take the time to review it yep. and understand where my missteps were, identify those missteps and then practice. So like everything has its place, right? The full practice tests have the place because then you're building your endurance, the timed sections have their place so that you can like more quickly maybe identify your weak areas and then focus, you know, mass practice doing drills. Drilling has its place too, of course, like being able to identify that weakness that you have and then drilling it so that it's no longer a weakness. Each of these things has its place, but yes, I, I, I actually ended up taking fewer timed exams than I wanted to, I thought I had to take like all of them. And when I had, I shared the number, like the total number and which ones I was kind of surprised by how few I did honestly. And, but I had erred on the side of doing more full-timed sections because that's really what I had time for in my life. Like I, it was very hard for me to fit in a full test with, you know, the full-time job and the the kids, but doing a timed section, I, I still would do those like a couple times a week towards the end of my prep, because then I could still be making progress. And, and I thought, oh, it, this won't reflect in my full-time test scores, but it did. And I, and I, I wish I had known that I didn't hear that from anyone. I thought, yeah, anyway, I'm glad you brought this up because that was something I did learn towards the end was I thought only a full test will reflect (laughs) my abilities, but really know it a time section will as well. So I wanted to share that too. I'm so glad you said that, right? You you never want the perfect to be the enemy of the good, so to speak. And, And even then it's not even like, I would even say, like, I mean, I, I think two of our, the bread and butter, right, I would say is like, okay, hey, we've got drilling, and then we've got time practice tests, and they both serve at a really important purpose, right? But but you're absolutely right. Time sections, right, if I can't do a whole PT, I'll do a time section. And frankly, sometimes it's worth it, right? If I say to someone, hey, I want you to practice this specifically for LR, or I want you to practice these broader habits specifically for games or RC, then you know what, if you might let that go by the wayside, if you got to focus on a whole PT, but if I'm just doing a time section for whatever reason, then I could be like, okay, before I go into this time section, what are those things that Jimmy said that I got to make sure to do? So they're at the forefront, you know, they're at the fore of your mind, right. And you're more likely to execute them and in turn, make them a habit, but whether it's for purpose or, or just, you know, Hey, all I've got is 30 minutes, uh, you know, excuse me, 35, 40 minutes today, I can only do a section. 
that's still that's still progress. So I'm really glad you made that point. I think too many students, under, understandably, but you know, let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I just want to emphasize again, right? When you've got a system in place, the psychological benefit is really great because you've got less pressure. You've got that system in place. It's automated. So, right, it's not all on your shoulders. I got to do all this. The system takes over for a lot of it. And obviously you're doing other things, but a lot of it's on the system. And a large part of your outcome, right, is is a byproduct, so to speak, of the system. Totally. And I, I love that because, again, it applies to both life and life habits and also LSAT habits, where part of that is going to be taking the time to review what's working and what's not. So like you had always talked about treating practice test review as a laboratory. You added that, you nicknamed your your spreadsheets the laboratory. Yes. And I, later on in my prep, I took a slightly different approach that we can definitely talk about either in this episode or another one. Cool. Um, I built on, built on that initial idea, but the two things I did during my journey were having a very systemized approach to reviewing practice tests. Like we, like we started on like working on, and then, you know, I continued to do throughout the duration of the prep. And then also took a inventory at the end of every month where I looked at, okay, what are the habits in my life that are serving my goals? What are not, what worked well, what didn't. And then I made goals and strategized those goals for the next month. So that really helped me get rid of stuff that wasn't working and just focusing on improving what was working. Yeah. So I love how all of these ideas, books, quotes are all connected. I want to stay on that for a moment. Um, I think one, one sort of myth I want to misconception that's out there sometimes, I think, you know, there's truth to the idea that, okay, obviously we want to, we want to make this habitual. We want to repeat things, do them the same way. That's part of it. Right. But that doesn't mean you have to consistently do something the same way you can, still observe as kind of going, you know, to the point you made MK about like a laboratory, right? Like you could still observe and fine tune those habits. So on the one hand, right, you want to make something habitual where you're repeating it. And there's power in that repetition because it becomes ingrained in you, becomes automatic. You're like a machine almost, so you can execute and you get all those benefits. But you also want to observe along the way what's working, what's not, so you can perfect them and tweak them. And I think that's something that it's just, it's just important to keep in mind. We want these habits. We want them to be right automated, but we also want to see what we can make better, what we can improve, what we can change. Definitely. A tool that Atomic Habits offers is the this habit tracker template where ah. you can track your habits. Yep. It's great. It's free. Anyone can download it. Yeah, just search habit tracker template, James Clear, and you can write down the different small actions you want to be taking every day towards your goals. With the help of that tracker, not only was I able to study consistently, but also, you know, I, I hit certain like fitness goals I had. I wanted mm. to run a marathon when I was pregnant. I also wanted to run a half marathon. So like, I really wanted to do that. So that required a little bit of exercise every day. And so tracking that, but then also tracking 
my study time, um, that helped as well. And, and then having a really good tool for reviewing my practice tests too helped me see like gains pretty quickly towards the end of my prep and helping me like identify where my weak spots were. I want to point out anyone who's listening, we talked about how MK got a, a 180 on the LSAT. Uh, went from a 146 to a, a diagnostic to a 180, how she took it while she was pregnant. And y- 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 you ran a marathon while you're pregnant, right? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. And another thing, like you, when, when you have certain preconceptions about things, you think, oh, I can't do that, but we can do a lot of things that we maybe don't realize we, we can do. So you've always instilled, I think a lot of confidence in your students that they can make do do the great things they want to do with the right approach and the right systems in place. If, if a fool like Jimmy could do it, then anybody can do it. I, my, my attitude has always been, right, if, if, um, if someone out there can do it, you can do it, right? We're not better than anybody else, but at the same time, we're not any, we're, we're just as good as anyone else. If someone out there has done it, we can do it. How do they do it, right? What can we learn and model from them? And what can we make, make a system, a habit? You also told me one of the things that you loved about the book was this concept of habit stacking that James Clear explained. Yeah. So again, like we were talking about, habits are great because they allow you to automate certain behaviors. I loved habit stacking, which is basically the idea that one habit, like waking up at a certain time, can be the trigger, the cue for the next habit. So James Clear kind of breaks down how habit formation works. You have the cue, the craving and the response. Mm -hmm. So the cue for one habit, the cue can actually be a habit that you've already like installed in your life, especially. So, so for example, one of the habits that I built when I was studying was waking up at four (laughs) AM and the cue was, you know, the alarm clock the, the idea was to, you know, jump out of bed. That was what I learned. I had learned that's a practice that really helps you put a lot of momentum into your day. Because when you first wake up, you have a really negative bias towards what you're going to experience. So when we stay in bed, we tend to ruminate, we tend to dread. So we're trying, it's like a a form of avoidance. Mm. Um, and the best way to get out of that negative frame of mind is to just jump out of bed. So I know it sounds a little wacky, but I had heard about this when I was probably in my teens. And then I just thought it was so weird though. I was like, who, who the heck does that? But then I heard a YouTube video recently about like why jumping out of bed is so effective. And that to me was the most powerful idea, which was just that we are really negative when we first wake up. And if you just jump out of bed, like that negativity will go away and you're embracing like that first challenge of the day. So yeah, I would uh, put my phone with, with my alarm clock across the room. So Mm -hmm. I had to jump out of bed to go get it. And then in terms of habit stacking, you know, jumping out of bed, then drinking a cup of coffee, which I had programmed the night before And then I would have my book on the table. So reading 20 pages of a, like a great book that I'm reading and then uh, reflect, spending some time reflecting on the ideas 
and then doing an exercise routine and then mindfulness, do a mindfulness. So those things, like when you have a quick succession of challenges, Mm. you're able to build so much more momentum than like we were talking about. If it's not routine, you're kind of like, wait, what do I do next? (laughs) That's, that's the power of habit stacking, right? Is doing that one thing right after the other. You make um, a great point when you're, if you have got to search around, okay, what do I do next? I mean, it sounds simple, right? But once when you've got a system in place, you just go from one to the other. It, it does take a little stress out of your, it sounds simple. Oh, I just got to figure out what to do next. Right. But if you have to wonder, right, that's more mental energy, but you, you've kind of eliminated that mental energy. So one, you're more likely to do it. And two, right. You, you can just kind of go in and execute right? And and you could use that mental energy for other things. Totally. And James Clear, like anyone reading the book would be able to, you just start small, like you start with one, one habit, and then you build. And then I think what ends up happening over time, at least was my experience is that you experience this sort of, there's just this rhythm to your day. You have the morning routine, and then you have just a way of doing each phase of your day. And it it just starts to flow. When I compare my life prior to developing those habits, and then after, I'd say that I really got into this, there's this like peace and rhythm to it. I think that's what we're going for is, is we want, you know, peace and happiness in our lives. And who knew that like habits could play such a big role in that? Yeah, you make such a great point. It's it's interesting, right? Like because uh, I've always heard some some variation of the idea that the human brain, right, kind of craves consistency, and I suppose in some way you know, habits are based on that in the sense that, right, like when I'm consistently doing these things, then I'm just used to doing them, and if I consistently do these things that are good for me, and repeat them, then they're more then I'm more likely to do them because I why because I crave consistency. And um, I can't help but think of that as you're as you're describing this. And the, the other thing that's interesting, when you say rhythm, right, it's almost like when you do it enough and you've repeated this process enough, it almost feels like you kind of gain momentum. And instead of you having to push yourself, again, you just kind of naturally do it. It becomes like the momentum kind of takes over. I did this. I did this. Oh, I guess I must do this next thing. Right. It's almost auto- again. Right. The idea it's almost automatic. I want to follow up with two points you made, two, two, two quick things about what you said. One, the automatic coffee maker, because I remember we're working together and the setting your alarm on your coffee. So your coffee starts brewing. And I'm a big coffee fan, too. And I remember you said, Jimmy, this is this is I don't don't know if you said life changing, but, you know, you're pretty, uh, pretty happy about it. And I I started I literally went out that day or week and bought a coffee maker with a you know, an alarm on it, but you're right. Cause I'm a big believer. I always tell people like, if you like coffee, start your day with a cup of coffee. That's a motivation to get going, but just having an automated coffee maker, having it go off with the alarm, it's something simple. If you're out there listening, you probably have an alarm on your coffee maker. If you have one, you'd be surprised many of them do, but we often don't use it, but right. It's just like, I think James clear in the book talked about when you can make a habit more accessible and easier, right? The difference between me being like, oh, I got to go make the coffee and it's not a big deal, but I'm tired. I'm getting up or, you know, versus the alarm went off, the coffee's brewing. Oh, I don't have to do that. It's ready for me. Oh, and I smell it. And that's motivation. 
Yeah. It's such a simple thing, right? Just doing a little prep to make things go more smoothly the next day, but, you know, prepping the coffee, putting out your workout clothes, putting the book on the table, prepping your environment so that you have these visual cues of what your morning will entail. I think, yeah, being able to identify like what is important to you, what, what do you want to do when the first thing is in the morning and then doing a little prep the night before so that you're able to have a, the best morning possible. And it's something like, not only does James clear talk, talk about, but I also, my husband, he, Hmm. he's really big on that because he was in the military and they would, they would call this like staging. He's always, he was always like staging his gear when he was in the military and he was like, I'm just going to stage everything. And, and that was seeing him do that. And all the little, the little pieces of his like weaponry that were involved in his uniform, seeing how detail oriented he was about that really, you know, helped me put that effort into prepping for the day. That's a great example. And it's, it's interesting, right? I think sometimes uh, I, I, in the past, have thought, oh, details, but details matter. Um, and I, you know, in the sense, especially like if they have a purpose, right? And I imagine in his case, and certainly in the ones we're talking about, each detail has a purpose, right? It's like, sure, I love coffee, but this is going to get me energized. And this is also going to motivate me. And and like you, right, I have a book that I keep out. But like, I, I specifically, there's a book I read, right, that I read a page from every day. I might have referenced it in the podcast, Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. I'll mention it in the show notes, but I always read a page, it's a book you can read a page a day and it sets my day, but I literally leave it on my breakfast table, right? So I got my coffee, got my book and it just kind of, it's there, it's accessible. And, I, and again, right, I think I remember James Clear just said, if you want something to become a habit, you want to make it easy to do. A lot of times you think, oh, I got to make things hard to do. There's a benefit to challenges, right? But let's make these habits easier to execute. And I'm reminded of that when I hear about the stuff you're saying with the coffee, right? With the alarm, with your husband and the staging. I love that. I love that you do that too. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> I do have to ask, are you yeah. getting, so is this often because you're getting the eight plus hours that I would argue are probably, everyone's different. I get it. Right. right? But are you getting right the ideal amount of sleep or is it understandably maybe out of necessity, right? You're, you're a mom and you've got work, right? Like you just, you can't get that eight plus hours. Are you, are you getting the ideal amount of sleep or is it often because, well, frankly, you're not getting the ideal amount of sleep? Right. So the, the idea here and this, I was having like a lot of sleep challenges because I was waking up at night to Mm. feed a child and anyone listening, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so difficult when you're wake the night feedings are so challenging. And then that's like a whole other topic. But I found that if I honored that morning wake up time, then in the evening, I was able to more readily fall asleep Mm. at the right after I put my son down once he was like sleeping on his own, which was great. He would, you know, sleeping in his crib and doing his own whole routine then I was able to get like, yes, plenty of sleep. And then the cool thing is when, even when I was pregnant and I needed more sleep, cause I was tired, more tired and needed more sleep. Then I would 
would be able to go to bed even earlier. And I, I noticed that as long as I had that strict wake up time, like strict, I hate that word, even it has a lot of <laughs> negative connotations, but you know, once I honored that wake up time consistently, then I found myself getting tired in, at, in the evening at the appropriate times, given like the needs of my body at that stage, whether I needed more sleep or less sleep. Yeah. So I think, yeah, like, I mean, anyone who's been pregnant that's listening knows like during that first trimester, you're so tired. You could probably sleep like nine or 10 hours. And if that's what your body needs, like that's what your body needs. And yeah, I I found it was possible to continue to honor a set wake up time, even when I was pregnant, as long as I went to bed earlier. I'm like a sleep creature with my students. I've certainly, you've certainly been on the receiving end of it only because I want to make sure my students get adequate sleep to perform. Right. But I certainly, uh, you know, it's a different story when, when you're pregnant or, you know, and, and obviously there are other extenuating circumstances in people's lives, but particular, right. Right. If you're nursing and all that other stuff, man, I, you know, you're, you're the one you're the expert. And I'm glad you shared that because I, I would have, you know, I, I certainly, as much as I preach sleep, right. I can't speak to those challenges. So I'm really thankful that you address that for our listeners. Yeah, of course. There's a lot of, like, it's the thing that we can all agree on is like sleep is so essential and it's yeah. like, what is the approach to it? That's going to work given your circumstances. Anything about a routine for attacking certain sections or questions? I think it's a little more individualized than we realize. I, I think it, it was more individualized for me than I realized. I thought if I read enough of other people's approaches, mm. like I would figure out what I needed to do. But what I didn't realize was that it's going to look differently for me than another student. For example, something that you taught me for logic games mm-hmm. was doing the specific questions before the like the local before the global local that was before the global Excellent. right that yeah that was the language you used and that really helped me but then there were also like little things i needed to do so i didn't make certain mistakes like sometimes like set, setting up the the question of you know adding like for me i needed to add like a final check to make sure i had mm. correctly incorporated all the rules like little things like that where maybe not like every student needs to do that but i did you know so for all the students out there just recognizing like hey we it's okay to have an extremely individualized approach to each section totally fine it's funny because a few Months back, I did an episode on my routine and only because a few students had asked me to share my routine. I done one on routine and the power of routine, but they wanted mm-hmm. to know my routine. And I, I get that, right? Like I'm a big believer in, hey, if someone's already done it, let me model it after them, right? But I was a little resistant. And I say this with a disclaimer, right? Because we're saying this with a disclaimer, right? About any of these habits. Anyone out there listening, we're sharing habits with you that were effective for us. And there are some that translate to everybody, but MK is making an really important point. Everyone's different. And part of it is you've got to cultivate habits that work specifically for you. There's like, I don't know, there's probably a good chunk of them that we all might agree on, but everyone's brain works a little bit differently. We've had different experiences in life and certain things make us think of things a little bit differently. And the the big thing is, right? Like, yeah, take some of this stuff, but treat it like a template in a sense, right? Take what works, but also make it your own. 
if there's something that I've got that works for me, cool, but make it your own. We're all individuals. And so uh, great point, MK. Thank you for, for emphasizing that, right? It, Absolutely. Yes. I think we just like, we want to crack the code, right? Like to know exactly what we have to do, but to use a little LSAT language analogy, some of these things may be necessary to <laughs> achieve the outcome, <laughs> but not sufficient. Right. So yeah, I think we're, we're trying to focus more on the necessary here, not what's sufficient. I think those things are what, where, where we get creative and where we, where our practice comes into play. That's a great point. And you, you want to have that sort of self-discovery and have that discretion. And I guess that kind of goes back to the, the point we were making earlier, you know, like that, uh, is it, we, we mentioned to y'all out there listening, right? Like I would give all of my students um, sort of a template to, to log their takeaways after. And as MK pointed out, right? Like we, refer to it it's sort of like a laboratory because on the one hand right you write down your takeaways but you also can learn from it and then based on that you can tweak it and that's a really great thing you know like when you are done taking a section or a practice test if you journal your takeaways then you could find things that sort of diamonds in the rough like a way of doing something and and as mk was saying right that's specific to you maybe there's stuff that doesn't work for either of us but you're out there listening and you discover something because you journaled it and you're like, you know what? This really clicks for me. Cool. Use it, right. discover it. And, and if it's something you can make a habit to replicate and get the most out of excellent MK, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening again. I'm your host, Jimmy D of JDLSAT.com. Please do subscribe to the LSAT habits podcast and share these episodes with friends If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, feel free to reach out to me and check out my website. Again, it's jdlsat.com. That's jdlsat.com.